Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Good morning, Lifehouse family. How's everyone doing today? So good to see you. We just want to, right now in honor of Veterans Day, we just want to honor all of those who have served or, or are currently serving in the armed forces. If that is you and your family, would you just please stand so we can honor you today? Lifehouse fam, let's just right, right now honor them. Come on, come on, guys, we can do better than, than that. Come on. Aren't you thankful for our armed forces that protect so many freedoms for us? We are just grateful and thankful for your sacrifice, love, and, and commitment to so many f- freedoms that I believe we take uh, really, really lightly. Amen. So, hey, we want to say welcome. If this is your first, second, or third time, Lifehouse fam, can we just give it up for all of our first, second, and third time guests that are with us today? You are our VIP. Make sure before you walk out today, you get your guest bag because there's some good stuff in there. It is a small way for us just to say thank you for joining us today. We are completely honored that you are here with us. If this is your first, second, or third time, you would know that this is not normal. So yesterday, our good friend, Carrie Jones, I'm not sure where Carrie's at. Where's the bald, big Asian rock guy? I don't think he's in here. I think he's outside. And anyway, he turned 50 years old yesterday, so we celebrated him. And so it was a dress-up thing. And so I was, I was, you know, I was there looking at myself. I was like, you know what? I'm going to come to church on Sunday like this. I'm going to mess everyone up because typically, if you know me, I'm in jeans, a t-shirt, and foams. So like, I, you know, it's like, I'm really chill. I'm really laid back because I'm, I'm like, man, it's like, you know, it's like, yo, I'm going to be comfortable. If I'm going to preach, if, I, if I'm going to go to church, I'm going to be comfortable. Like, this is, like, this is a stretch for me. But it's like, at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. I might do this, you know, once every five years. So this is like, you know, this is the first time that I've ever dressed up in the history of Lifehouse Church. So you are witnessing history today. You're welcome. No, but, um, but also, too, you know, something that we do every first Friday of each month is called First Friday. And um, if you are first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth visitor here or whatever, that would that that's a great next step for you to to get plugged into our church if you desire so. It's basically a chill, uh, a real chilled, laid back dinner party um, where we basically feed you, you 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 get to meet some really awesome people, and then um, we tell you a little bit more about the vision of our church. No pressure. It's just kind of come hang out. Um, and you can actually sign up for that. It is uh, Friday, December 1st is our next one. And if, if you can't do that, then we have one every first Friday. So it's easy for you to actually know when that is. So, But if you want to sign up for that, you can text 757-755-4759. We would love for you to be our guest so we can hang out with you. All right. So today we're continuing a series we started last week called, huh? Turn to someone and give me your best huh face. Now turn to your second choice and give them your best, huh, face, huh? 
Huh? So we've been in this series, and by chance, if you were not here last, last week, God, highly, highly encourage you to go and check out our podcast, which is on SoundCloud and iTunes, and you can go, go, on, go on there, download, or you, or you can stream uh, sermons from, uh, from actually when we started, which I think I've gotten, I feel like I've gotten a, a little bit, I've become a little bit better preacher. Like, I check out some of the ones from, like, the first three months, and I'm like, can we just burn those? No, I'm, not, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, um, you know, so granted, though, um, you can go on there and check those out. Um, and I would encourage you. Last week was awesome. Today, though, I think is going to be even more special. So, huh? This whole concept of huh means this: is that Jesus said some pretty shocking things. We love to focus on the things about Jesus that we like to, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor. Uh, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the righteous. And like we tend to focus on some of the most, you know, unshocking things Jesus said because um, I think it's comfortable for us. But then whenever we dive in and look at and explore some of the like not so stuff you were taught in Sunday school about Jesus, you're going to see Jesus said some pretty shocking things to get across to us some pretty shocking points. So basically this whole series is based on some of the <laughs> words of Jesus, right? Today we're going to actually be in Matthew chapter 5 verse 27. And before we jump into this, I'm going to pray for us. Why? Because here, here is the bottom line. I know when people come into church, man, you got a bunch of stuff going through your mind. You got life happening. Your kids might be going crazy. Your job situation might be absolutely insane. Your financial situation might be absolutely insane. You have difficult people that you're dealing with. And just right now, it's hard for you to feel a peace. And the thing is to be in this moment. And what I'm going to ask and, and pray for, for you is that by God's grace, you would be able to block out the distractions, block out stuff uh, that might try to come and steal what God wants to speak and do in your life today. My prayer is that you would be in this moment that you would open up your heart to receive what God wants to speak today. Amen? We're going to pray. All right, everyone bow your heads. Jesus, we pray right now. We come before you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Father, we pray that over these next moments, that God, we open up our hearts to receive, our minds to receive, our spirits to receive what you want to deposit and what you want to put in us today. I pray for every person that is battling anxiety and fear and doubt and worry and stress and God, all of the things that come, that come with living life. God, I just pray that all those things would be put on pause and they'd be present in this moment to receive what you want to do in them and through them t today. And God, please let the Jaguars win for the, for the love of God. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. And amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30. We're going to look at some of these shocking words that Jesus said. Check this out. So you've heard it said, this is Jesus talking. You shall not commit adultery. That's good, right? Guys, don't cheat on your wife. Ladies, don't cheat on your husbands, right? Don't commit adultery. It's good. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, so Jesus here is saying faithfulness isn't just what you do with your physical body. Faithfulness is what you also do with your mind, heart, soul, and spirit. Faithfulness isn't just something outward, it's something inward. Get that? Awesome. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, well, cut that joker off. 
and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now we're gonna examine one other portion of scripture where Jesus kind of has this same theme going on. He says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter your life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck that joint out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Now what? Okay, huh? <laughs> like Jesus, if my hands cause me to sin, you want me to chop them jokers off? If my eyes cause me to sin, pluck them jokers out? Yeah, I see some huh faces going on right now. You guys like, Jesus said that? Yes, he did. He said this. Now, let's just be completely honest. If we cut off or plucked out or whatever any part of our body that made us sin, <laughs> y'all like, <laughs> yes, I'd be dead. Because my brain causes me to sin. So I'd be brain dead. I wouldn't be functioning. Like, you chop both my arms off. I'd be a paraplegic. I'd have no, like, it would be ugly. So is Jesus really saying here, if a part of your body causes you to sin, cut it out? Now, the thing is, last week, we looked at a figure of speech that Jesus would consistently use as a teacher to help him teach. And it was this term, hyperbole. Hyperbole. Hyperbole is simply a figure of speech that Jesus used consistently. And the thing is this, when you interpret the Bible, right? Because here, here, here's what's, what someone does. Someone will take this verse out. See, Jesus said, cut your arms off. You need to pluck your eyes out. Like they'll take these verses. Literally, you, you got to interpret them. The Bible is a book that is to be interpreted. There, there, there is so many different figures of speech used, different types of books written. There's a bunch of different things in Scripture that you will mess up if you don't interpret it the right way and interpret it correctly. So this word hyperbole simply means this. It's, a, it's, it's from a Greek word meaning excess. It's a figure of speech that uses extreme exaggeration to make a point or show emphasis. It is the opposite of an, of an understatement. And we, we do this all, the, all, all of the time, right? We say stuff like, I'm never going to get out of here in DMV, which you really, you really never might get out of there. I mean, you might be in there for the rest of your life, right? DMV, or you say, I never have any money. No, you do have money. You just spend it on dumb stuff, and that's why you don't have money, right? But you are exaggerating a point saying you don't have what you actually need, and that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is trying to make a point using hyperbole, and let me tell you what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is saying, and Jesus is asking us, do we take sin seriously? Do we take sin seriously? Do we, do I, do you take sin as serious as Jesus did? Where Jesus emphatically stated, using hyperbole teaching, do whatever you've got to do to put parameters around sin entering in and you being controlled by sin. Now, I know this. You've been in church any amount of time. There's, you know, sin. It's a churchy word. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, so you don't have no idea what that word is. Sin is a broad term that basically means it, it you know, it's translated from, from, from the 
Greek language as missing the mark or wandering from the path. Okay? Missing the mark. So think about a bullseye. It's you missing the bullseye or you're on a clear path and you go off of the path. Sin is missing a mark or wandering from the path. And Jesus asks us, are we going to be serious? Are you going to be serious about sin? Now, we can have different opinions about what sin is and what are sins and what aren't sins and what does God define as sins. And look, we could get into that, but that would take so much time. If you have questions about this sermon, email me. We'll talk. We'll set up coffee, something. But at the same time, Jesus goes in and talks about many times something that we don't like talking about, and that's sin. The bottom line is this. We all have a proclivity inside of us to do the exact opposite of what God requires of us. And that, that is what is called sin, where we have a desire to miss God's mark, to get off of God's path. We all have that in Christian theological terms, that's called sinful nature, where there is this thing that where we are born and we are naturally born to be selfish and geared towards us. And you won't understand this unless you have kids. I got three of them, seven, four, and two. Let me tell you what I didn't have to train them to do. Mine, me. I did not have to give them any formal education or training, or instruction to be selfish, to be self-centered. It came very naturally, where they all are typically all about themselves. It's all about them. And it's the most insane thing because my kids, I love them. But as a parent, what you actually have as a parent, you have a great inside view of what it feels like to be God. Let me give you an example. You know, my four-year-old, I love him. His name's Judah. Cute as a button. But when I look into that kid's eyes, I see a seed of rebellion. You know how, how typically you've kind of got one kid. You know, I got three, and I tell you what, my first one, he's the rule follower. You know, we tell, I, mean, I don't even have to say anything to him. I just give him a look, and he breaks down. My youngest one, Dallas, He's just, he's like a just happy-go-lucky, jolly. Walks in, smiling, eating, throwing stuff in his face, whatever. But then my middle son, Judah. I love him. But Judah's that kid, man. Like, we'll be doing something, and I'll be looking at him. and I know he's about ready to do something he shouldn't do. And I just look at him. And Judah gives me this. Like, what are you going to do, Dad? What are you going to do? And I look at him, and I'm like, mm -hmm. I dare you. I dare you. Because he's, he's pushing me. He's wanting to see what I'm going to do. He wants to see him, and he'll even take his hand and go towards something. Like, what are you going to do, Dad? Huh? What are you going to do? And, and I'm like, I've been put on this earth son, as God's delegated authority <laughs> to beat that sinful nature out of you, to make sure you understand what sin is and the effects of it. So go ahead, son, put your hand on that candy. You know I said you couldn't have from Halloween. Go for it. 
take that gummy bear. Take them Sour Patch Kids. I dare you. But do you know what I see in my son? I see me with God. Where my son has this inward proclivity, all of my sons, they, they have this inward proclivity to almost do exactly of what I'm wanting them to do, to go off path, to miss the mark. And as all of us here, we've got to come to grips and come, come to terms. We all have that nature in us. It's called the sinful nature to go off of the past. And I just love how even with kids, like we give their times of going like names, terrible twos, thunderous threes. I'm like terrible lifetimes. This is, this is a two or three year old thing. This is, this is like, we need to terrible life. Like we're sinful. We want it. We have a proclivity and a tendency. And do you know what the crazy thing is? Is this will even hide itself in doing good things, right? Like you got some people, they'll do, the, they'll do good things for the wrong reasons. That's how deceitful and sinful we are. That we will do good things for the wrong reasons. We do them for our own purposes so people can see us. And we're doing, see, it's not just about what we do, but it's about what we do for what reason. And it's so hard now because in our culture, there's no, there's, there's no truth, like, no one has any idea what sort of truth we have. Like, everyone's, it's like we have this relative truth, right? Where there's nothing that's transcendent. There's nothing that is beyond us. All we have is, is like, well, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and I can't judge your truth because your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. There's no absolute truth. So that's your absolute truth? That there's no absolute truth? Yeah, bro, that makes a lot of sense. Like, it's like no one knows what truth is. But as Christians and Christ followers, we shouldn't have that problem. We shouldn't have that problem of truth being subjective and flowing anywhere just based upon opinions or feelings or what we think should be right and wrong. As Christ followers, we have a standard. We have a mark. We have a path that God has clearly laid out to us in God's word, but also I believe many times in our own conscience that we say we are not truthless people. We are not people that don't have a path. We have a path. We just have a proclivity to get off of it. So we have to ask, do we take sin and truth seriously? Because Jesus does. But we almost got to define what is sin. Sin is both a condition that we all have and actions that we all do. Sin includes the thoughts we have, words we speak, deeds we do, and motives that drive us. Sin includes commission, where we do what is wrong. And sin also includes omission, where we, where we do not do what is right. So sin isn't just what you do, it's what you don't do. Men, you might say, I, I don't cheat on my wife, but do you do the things that show her love and appreciation and that you cherish her? Because there's a big difference. Sin can be commission and it can be omission. It's not just what you do, it's what you don't do. Sin is ultimately rebellion against God. Rebellion means defying the established authority. And like I said earlier, think about a rebellious child that goes off the path, that, that goes off of the standard and basically says, I'm going to not just rebel against the authority. I am the authority now. Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is misplaced worship. 
I know we think worship is just what we do when we come into this room for 25 minutes each Sunday, but worship isn't what we do in a place. Worship is who we are as people. We are worshiping 24-7. You are showing with your life who and what is important, your time, your talent, and treasure. You are continuously pouring out and showing who or what is important in your life. And sin ultimately makes us misplace the object and path of our worship. Sin is de-godding God. It's where you say, I am my own standard. I make the rules. You're basically telling God I'm God. Sin is all the ways we live life on our own terms, to our own ends, with accountability to no one but ourselves. But sin too, though, is not just breaking God's laws. Sin ultimately breaks God's heart. And that's what I think we've got to be sure of, that we just don't see, think about it this way, guys. Like, we just don't see breaking God's law and breaking God's, as, as you know, it's like when with, with my kid, I don't just, you know, if they don't do something that I want, I'm not like, you have uh, broken law 40, uh, 47A, addendum D, appendix F. You've broken that law. Do you know what really ultimately it feels like whenever the kids don't do what the path that I have for them? It breaks my heart because you know where the path that they are going leads to. It leads to destruction. When I saw my kid climbing this fence that I told him multiple times not to climb and he's climbing it and then he flips over and falls on his head. My thing was, you broke my law, Dallas. It was Dallas. I told you that because I knew you couldn't handle it. I told you that because I knew where it would lead. You're not ready. Do you see that? Sin isn't just breaking God's law. It's breaking God's heart. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to go back really quick to the place where sin all came. Right, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God created the world. He created it good. He created Adam, Eve, put him in the garden, and, and, and put him in there naked and without shame. A man with his woman naked in a garden with food. Sounds like heaven to me. And he told them, be fruitful and multiply. Praise God. You know, it <laughs> sounds like utopia to me. <laughs> Sounds like heaven to me, right? They were in unity. There was no sin. There was no backbiting. There was no comparison. There was, there, there was no competition. It was in a place where God ruled and God's word was there. But then we pick up in Genesis chapter 3 where we see where it all went down from there. Genesis chapter 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So you see, the first thing the enemy does is question God's word. Okay? He starts to question. And then he says, The woman said to the serpent, Yeah, uh, we may eat from any, from, the, from any fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you, or you will die. So Jesus, so she knew what God's word was, right? It was clearly said and stated. And then he goes from questioning God's word to lying. Oh, you won't certainly die. Serpent said to him, and this is what the enemy does to you guys. The enemy is predicated and built on and only says lies. And when you look at what sin, what sin ultimately is, it is a lie. For God knows that when you'll eat 
from it. Your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You know they were already like God? God made them in his image. So Satan was promising them something that they already were. He said, if you eat this, then you'll have what you want. That is the root of what sin is. It, is a, it promises you something that it can't deliver on. That's what lust is, man. Whenever you say, oh, if you get this woman, then you'll be satisfied. Nope, it just makes your appetite bigger and harder to fulfill. That is what the root of what sin is here, is the, Satan promising Adam and Eve something that they already had as image bearers of God. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So Adam was just sitting there chilling like, yeah, Eve, let's go and get this food, yo. When it's, it's, when it's like, no, Adam was called to lead his family. Adam should, have, Adam should have been there saying, Eve, you know what God said? We're going to follow God. Some say the first sin wasn't actually Eve doing something. It was Adam not doing something. It's not commission. It's omission, too, where Adam didn't take his rightful place of leading his family. And men, we will have that proclivity to just kind of, you know, coast with our families and, you know, just, you know, but, but the thing, we'll let stuff in that should not be in our house. Men, you're called to lead. You're called not authoritatively, but in love and in serving and in for the best interest of your family. And we see the consequences of it. Gave some to her husband. He ate it. Then the eyes of them were both opened and they realized they were naked. So they sued fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Look, I've had people say, you know, how can a snake talk? How can a snake walk? How can a snake this? And that the other thing. And they take this. Oh, that, 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 that was, we've advanced. <laughs> so far beyond this, you know, you know, this, 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 you know, this kind of like cartoonish Bible stuff. And look, I don't care if you believe if this was, if this was literal or not literal, the principle is there. Genesis 3 isn't just what happened, it's what happens. Get that. This isn't just a story of Adam and Eve. This is a story of us believing the same lies said in a different way in a different time period to different people. The Bible is a book about people, and this story is about us. We are Genesis 3. We give in to the lie because we don't trust and believe the good things that God has given and said to us. What does sin do? I, want to, I just want to go in here. What we ultimately see from this is sin separates us from God and from each other. You don't see any marriages saying, we had to divorce because my, my wife loved and served me so well. Just had to end it. She was so good to me. She respected me. She honored me. And she did such a good job, I just had to let her go. Guys, you know, I don't, I, or I don't hear it, man. It's like, you know what? My husband loves me. He honors me. He serves me. He puts me first. Just like Christ died for the church, he sacrifices himself for me. That was just so awesome. I had to let him go. Now, do you know what kills marriages and kills relationships and kills what, it, what Satan ultimately wants to do, it's sin. It's backbiting. It's gossip. It's negativity. It's rage, anger, murder, 
adultery, slander, all of these things? What sin ultimately does is it separates us from each other and us from God. What we see here in Genesis 3, you saw it when it said, look, you have been, there was a definite thing where it was like there was a separation between Adam, Eve. Do you know what? Right after that, they were there naked, but then of course, right after they sinned, they, were, they said what? They had to cover themselves up because they felt shame. And that's what sin makes us do. It makes us cover up, it makes us hide ourselves, it makes us get defensive. What sin does is it separates us, but sin doesn't just separate us from God or from people. It ultimately, what sin does is it leads to death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And the thing is, it's not just a physical death, which it, which, which it does. It's also a spiritual death. It's not just a temporary death. It's an eternal death. Sin is you saying, I want my way. God, no thank you. No thank you on your love. No thank you on your grace. No thank you on your forgiveness. I am my own standard. I am my own God. No thank you. I'm going to take my own path. And what he's saying here is for the wages of sin is death. That you are, it's just like a child watching their kid. It is God watching us do our own thing. It leads to death. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from that spirit will reap eternal life. And this is a promise for some, and this is a warning for some. Because the thing is, is we can think, oh, you know, I know I'm, I know I'm not doing something that I should be. I know I'm living a private, sinful life, doing things I know I should not be doing. And you're not seeing the fruit of that action manifested yet. So you think God doesn't see it or God doesn't care. But what you're doing is, is you're planting seeds of death that will one day result in your destruction, maybe physically or temporarily or eternally. And that's why we have to say, and, and then though, for some of you, the, this is a promise because you're sowing good seeds. You're doing the right things, and, but yet you haven't seen the fruit of all of those good seeds sown, sown yet. So you're wanting to almost give up. And my encouragement today is this, the scripture right afterwards where it says, do not become weary in doing good for at the appointed time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So for those of you sowing good seeds today, I wanna encourage you, don't stop sowing. Keep sowing, because at God's appointed time, you will reap a harvest if you don't get up. For those of you here sowing seeds of death, I want to urge you, like with the urgency of someone that, that, that has a gun to their forehead, I'm asking you, take the gun down. Quit sowing seeds of death, because ultimately it leads to destruction. Is everyone doing Okay. Why is it important to see sin as serious? Like, why would Jesus say this? Why would Jesus say, cut your arm off, guide your eye out, cut your feet off, go into life maimed and a paraplegic then to have all of this stuff happen? Why? I really believe this. If we don't take sin seriously, and I pray that you get this point today. If you don't take sin seriously, you won't take grace seriously. If you don't take sin seriously, you won't take God's love seriously. If you don't take sin serious, you won't take God's forgiveness seriously. If we don't see the weight of the problem, we will never see the greatness in and be thankful for the solution. My prayer is that today you would see and feel the weight of your sin, not so you'd feel guilty or condemn yourself. 
that is not from God. Con, con, condemn, condemnation is not from God. Condemnation is from Satan. Romans 8.1 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Conviction, however, is of the Holy Spirit. If you never feel convicted about some of the stuff that you're doing, you might be your own God. Because here's the thing, God's conviction leads us to repentance. It leads us to get back on the path, right? But, but look, Luke, Luke chapter 7, verse 36, 38, I, I want to dive into this story of Jesus really, of, of Jesus really, really quick says here, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined. I just love how Jesus went wherever there was food. Like Jesus went wherever there was food. I'm like, I want to be like Jesus. Anyone want to be like Jesus? I don't care if you're a Pharisee. I don't care. I don't care if you're a Pharisee. I don't care if you're a sinner. If you've got food, I'm eating. I'm going to enjoy it. And that's what Jesus did. You're kind of thinking, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. So just imagine being that woman. Like, you are known as the one in that town that lived a sinful life. How awesome is that? A woman that lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So just imagine this. Jesus is eating with all of these religious guys that... They are the religious elite. They are the ones that everyone looks up to. And you've got this woman that comes in and and she's broken and her heart is completely broken for her sins. And she comes and goes to Jesus' feet and cries tears and takes an expensive alabaster box of perfume and breaks it and pours it on Jesus. And what do we see here? The religious elite, do you know what they do? They start saying stuff like, yeah, well, if Jesus knew who this girl was, he wouldn't have her touch him. If Jesus knew what this girl's life was encompassed with and what she did, Jesus wouldn't have no part with him. But Jesus knew exactly who was touching him and what kind of person that that was. And what I want to say is this, guys, is a, is, is a religious punk will always look at and dwell on someone's past instead of what God has for them in their future. And that's what these religious people were doing. Yeah, clap, yeah clap, clap it up. I like clapping. Makes me know I'm doing okay or makes me know you guys are getting it. But it's, 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 it's like they were so focused on what she did in her past and who she wasn't instead of focusing on Jesus had the possibility of making her who she could be. And I think if we're not careful, we can have the same religious attitude as the Pharisees that always focus on people's past instead of what God's doing in the present and what God could potentially do in the future. And let me tell you this, we will not be a church like that. We're going to celebrate. Look, we're going to help people with their past. We're going to celebrate what God's doing in their present. And we're going to help them and push them towards the incredible future and purpose and plan that God has for them. Come on, somebody. I want to see with eyes of Jesus instead of eyes of Pharisees. And Jesus goes, goes on and Jesus turns this into a teaching point. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, come over here. I've got something to tell you. I want to show you something. So then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me you know, any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered does not stop kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but, 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 but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. 
He who has been forgiven of little loves little. Jesus sets a direct correlation between what you've been forgiven of and how great your love for God is. Let me say that one more time. There's a direct correlation between what you've been forgiven of and how great your love for God is. Meaning this woman came in broken. This woman came in shattered. This woman came in in pieces. And she had a broken and and contrite heart and was weeping at Jesus' feet, took something that was a sacrifice, something that they say was probably worth three years' wages, this alabaster box, broke it on Jesus' feet and poured it on him. Why? Because she knew and realized what she had been forgiven of. You know why I think many of us are so joyless? Why many of us have lost our passion for God is because we don't understand the seriousness of our sin that shows us the seriousness of God's love, grace, and forgiveness. And we've forgotten that we've been forgiven of much. Are y'all seeing this? We've forgotten that we've been forgiven of much, which causes us then not to love much. And what we end up doing is we take the grace, love, and forgiveness of God and we make it common. When it's not common, it is uncommon. Jesus was in this place and there was two different types of people there. People that didn't see their sin and one woman that did. And I don't know about you, I wanna be just like her. I don't wanna be the religious that are like, oh, if you know who was touching you, you wouldn't touch her. Oh my God, I'm so much better than all of, I mean, oh my God. Do you know what that is? That's religious pride that at the end of the day is one of the greatest sins, is that the root of all sin is pride. You won't understand the goodness and greatness of God's love, grace, and forgiveness unless you understand the depths of your sin. And that's why I, I have said this. I want to live my life like I am forgiven. I want to live my life. I want to give my life. I want to serve. I want to give. I want to love. I want to see purpose and hope in people. I want to live my life like I have been forgiven. I told the, in, for, in first service, I was like, the first song that our church is going to write, song, like we want to write a worship song. We want to write the song. It's going to be called Like I'm Forgiven. We'll worship like we're forgiven. We'll love like we're forgiven. We'll lift up hands like we're forgiven. We'll worship with passion like we're forgiven. Because the bottom line is this. We have been forgiven of much, and that should lead us then to love much. If you don't take God's, if you don't take sin seriously, you can't take grace seriously. So what do we do with sin? We got to hurry. <sighs> Stinking theater times. What do we do with sin? We take it to the cross. We take it to the cross, because at the cross, we see the consequence and cost of sin. However, we see the justice of God, that payment for sin that had to be made. I'm sorry, guys, I gotta take this coat off. I'm gonna sweat out this thing. <sighs> sorry if I'm like sweating through it. Who just whistled at me? Carrie, is that you? The 50-year-old man over there? No, I'm just kidding. At the cross, we see the consequence and cost of sin. We see the justice of God, the payment for sin that had to be made. At the cross, we see justice and love kiss. We see love poured out. We see that what we should have, what, the, what we should have paid for our sin. 
at the cross, we see the cost. But y'all, this is where the good news is. And this is where I know this whole sermon, you guys are feeling like you've been beaten down with a baseball bat and just how terrible you are and bad you are and sinful you are. And I've, you know, sometimes the, before the good news is shared, there's gotta be a little bad news. But I'm telling you from here on out, y'all, it's only good news. Because there is an answer for sin. And the good news is this. The debt of sin that we owe, the last thing that Jesus said on the cross, the very last thing when he had been through it, he had beaten, he had put up nails in his hands, spear in his side. After all of that happened, the last words of Jesus were what? It is finished. Do you know what that word translates into the English language from the Greek language? It means this, paid in full. Yeah, we can clap at that. Come on. Paid in full, meaning the debt of our sin that we owe, that we all owe because of our own choice, our own proclivities. We have now, and here's the thing, we couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't live up to, to some standard law. Why? Because we are sinful. So what Jesus did, he said, I will come and pay the debt that you cannot pay. I'll live the life that, that, that you cannot live and pay the price that you cannot pay for you and for your sin. It would be the guiltless for the guilty, the sinless for the sinful. I'll go and pay the debt that you owe, and I just won't pay part of it. I will pay it in full. Check it. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. This is absolutely incredible. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Colossians 2, 14, 15. It says, when you were stuck in your old, sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. Andy, I'm not sure where you're at, man. You're going to come on up. While I do believe we need to focus on, on, on the cross, and the cross is beautiful, the cross is a beautiful thing, and, and it is the symbol of our faith, right? The symbol is, you know, you see a bunch of crosses in churches, and you see a bunch of people with necklaces on that are crosses, and I'm all for the cross. But one thing that I think we miss at the cross, we, we see the cost for our sin, we see what the cost was, we see what it cost God, what it cost Jesus, but I think sometimes we don't leave the cross and walk out of the tomb. Okay? At the cross, we see the cost. At the tomb, when Jesus walked out, it shows us the victory. That we're just not called to feel bad about the cost that was paid. We're called to also see now the victory that was won on our behalf. Get that. There's power in that. Why? Because some of you are dealing with some incredible sins and you've got stuff you've been dealing with your whole life and you feel bad for it, you feel mad for it and, and you feel bad and you feel guilt and, and, and you're like, God, I just... But what I think you need to do is transition from the cross feeling bad to realizing Jesus didn't die on the cross. He walked out of the, out of the tomb for your victory. Jesus lived the life you couldn't live, died the death you shouldn't die and then raised, was raised to life to basically tell you, I've already earned it. I've already won it. 
The victory is mine. And do you know what I'm going to now do? I'm not going to make you do anything to earn it. I'm not going to make you do any sort of tricks. All I want you to do is to put by grace, through faith, put your trust in Jesus, and the debt payment is applied to you, and the victory is given to you. Now it's all about you walking in who you already are and what inheritance you already have. That's what makes Christianity different from every other religion. We don't just say, oh, do these good things, and then you'll, you know, oh, man, it'll, you know, you'll, you'll earn nirvana. You'll earn 75 virgins. You'll earn riches in heaven. Do you know what it is? It's basically Jesus telling you, I've done everything you couldn't do. You couldn't do it. You were sinful. I'm sinless. I've won it. So now I'm going, now all you have to do is walk up and live up to and grow into who and what you already are in Christ. And that's what I believe following Christ is. It's, uh, it's the revelation of us realizing the victory we already have in Christ. Over sin. Over what separates. Over what brings death. Over what makes us wander. But if we make it common, if we make sin not serious, we make grace, love, and forgiveness common. So how do we respond to sin? Psalm 51 is a great example for us because in Psalm 51, we see this is the story David writes. So this is, so Psalms are just songs. So like Psalm, there's, there's 150 Psalms and what they are is songs, like they're written songs. And this particular song, Psalm 51, is the one where David wrote it and prayed it and played it after he was caught in adultery with Bathsheba. Just get this, David, he was God's anointed king and he was the anointed, he said after man after God's own heart. Well, one day David was out playing Xbox on his deck or something. And when, he, when, when it says, when, when scripture says he should have been out to war, so he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was at home with idle hands. Come on, somebody. Idle hands are the devil's playground. You need to, guys, you need to make sure you're busy. You need to make sure you're working hard, loving your family hard. Let, let's make sure we're keeping busy, right? But while he was out, while the, while the other people were out fighting, David was at home chilling, playing Xbox on the deck. He looks over and sees a woman bathing. And he, yo, he tells his servants, yo, go get me that girl. Like, I want her right now. They bring the girl. They do their thing. She gets pregnant. And then David's like, oh, crap. He, she was the wife of one of my mighty men that's fighting for me right now. So David ends up putting lies upon lie upon lie, trying to cover his lies with more lies because that's what happens, right? The more you lie, the more lies you got to tell just to cover it up. Ask our government. I'm just kidding. Um, uh it's like corruption leads to corruption, right? So, so what you've got to do is David, you know, a prophet comes in. And basically a prophet's like, hey, I want to tell you a little story. There was this sheep and, da, 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 and basically he tells this story that is centering David out of saying you are a liar, a killer, and thief. And David's like, that man should be killed. And the prophet says, that's you. This is David's prayer after he got confronted with that. He says, create in me a pure heart, O oh God. 
and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast from me your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. I think David's response needs to be our response. I know you're not an, you, you might not have done adultery. You might not have murdered somebody. You might not have done all this stuff, but Scripture's clear. If you break one, you break them all. We're all in the same boat. And my prayer today is that we would see the depth of our sins so we'd see the depth of God's goodness and grace and mercy and love and forgiveness that would cause us to have a heart that says, God, create in me a clean heart. This path that I want to follow that I think is right, I submit that path to you because I know it leads to destruction and death. God, I want to follow in your path. I'm praying for brokenness in our hearts over sin today, not for guilt or shame, but so you would realize the weight, depth of God's goodness and grace in your life. Why? I believe for so many of you that will produce a joy you've been searching for, a hope you've been searching for, a love you've been searching for, a purpose that you've been searching for, and honestly that you were created for. God's greatest need excuse me, God's greatest purpose meets your deepest need in Jesus. Can we, can we all stand, church? We're going to take communion together. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kill Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.